meat. So, <coughs> oh, aren't you? You poor, poor people. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you that you are our King. Lord, thank you that we can come to you. I pray that you would help us to hear the beat of your own heart this morning and to know the beat of ours. Father, I pray that you would speak through my lips. Lord, that your words would be speaking to my heart and to the heart of the people here by your Spirit, for your own glory, Father, through your Son. Amen. So we've got... uh, uh, Mark, we, we're continuing our book of Mark journey. We're walking with Jesus, and if you see at the back, there's our, our flyers. We'll see we've already done. Uh, the first one was about the kingdom and the announcement of the king coming and John, and then we saw Jesus walking by next to the lake, and there's a fishing boat on that bulletin, and it says, you know, Jesus saw these, these fishermen, and he said, Hoy, come and follow me, and they dropped what they had, and they went to follow Jesus. And then we saw the week after that with Jesus healing. And we see that Jesus is the one who has authority, not only over demons, but over sicknesses as well. And today, we're going to learn something more about the authority of Jesus, but in particular, we're going to find out about the heartbeat of God. Uh, Hopefully, by the end of the day, you'll understand what I mean when I I speak about the, the heartbeat of God. So we find ourselves, we've, we've done, how many, this is week four, and we have eventually arrived in chapter two of Mark, so we're, we're making good time. We find ourselves here, remember last time, uh, Jesus, the week before, so two weeks ago, Jesus had done the amazing miracles um, in, in Capernaum. Last week, the disciples find him praying outside, and they say, come back, come back, everyone loves you, come on, you're the next big thing, you're, uh, Israel's got talent, you're going to win the competition, come Jesus, everyone loves you, and Jesus says, I'm going to go to the rest of the towns of Galilee, I'm going to go out there, and I'm going to preach the good news everywhere. And he does that, and on the way, he heals a leper, and it was amazing, absolutely amazing. But now we find that he comes back. Uh, So several days later, Jesus has returned to Capernaum, and the news quickly spread that Jesus was back. And everyone gathers, because they they know this man. He's he's based in Capernaum. They've they've heard him. They've seen some of his power and authority. Remember what they said when when he spoke? They said, what? He, He speaks with one like authority. And then when he healed the demoniac in their church service, they, they said, what? What power, what authority does he have? This is incredible. And so they, they took all their sick and he healed them. And, and now when news comes that Jesus is back, the clou- crowds are, are clustering back to get at him. And you can just picture the scene. Um, so so kind of like if you look around here, it's kind of like this. Lots and lots and lots of people <laughs> all together so that you cannot get close to Jesus. I, I wish, wouldn't it have been fantastic to have a tape recorder recording all of Jesus' sermons? Oh, wouldn't it have been fantastic? Oh. Anyway, there's crowds surrounding you. The, the house where Jesus was staying, maybe Peter's house where he, where he stayed last time, the crowds are just crushed in there. Um, and there's no way to get there. And, 
and, and then we, we, we have this incident of four blokes. And one of them is paralyzed. Oh, as I might soon be. And he's lying. Can you imagine lying flat all day, every day, embarrassing your wife? Can, can you imagine lying flat all day, every day, not being able to get up, not being able to go to the toilet, not being able to dress yourself, not being able to do anything? And these four blokes have heard about Jesus and they know that he's there and and boy, last time he was in town, he healed everyone. So we're going to take our friend. And they, they load him up on his, on his little matty type of thing, stretcher. And they carry him there and they get there. And they can't get in. There's too many crowds. Now, I was going to put a cartoon on the back of your bulletin, which shows the, the blokes carrying their mate in the stretcher. And there's a guy with a jacket on that says, Acme Roof Repairs. And he says... You can't get in that way. I recommend the roof. But that's what they do. They, go, they climb up onto the roof and they break a hole and they lower this man through. Um, and, and without ears, we look at them and go, What? How dare they break the roof? Do you know how much tiles cost? Um, archaeology tells us that, that in those days, uh, the, the roofs, that the houses that they built wouldn't be able to support more than a thatch roof. So like cross beams and thatch over with mud and stuff mixed in. And, and you'd have to anyway repair it every year before the rains came. So I don't know, they just, it wasn't such a big deal to break the roof. Still, the owner of the house is probably going, that's my roof. But, but it's not that big a deal. And for these blokes, they are just desperate to get their friend to Jesus. They are coming to Jesus. And you know what they could have said? They could have said, ah, bad luck, John. I'm afraid we can't get in. Let's try again tomorrow. Now, I reckon I would have said that. I don't know about you. Maybe it's just our Western mindset. We don't think to break roofs. We think we'll try again tomorrow. We failed. These guys refuse to accept that. Though. They refuse to accept failure. And I, I suppose they, I suppose if you think about it, there are many people who want to come to Jesus for whatever reasons. Um, and there are obstacles to coming to Jesus. Um, there could be things that you've experienced in your life that you think Jesus wouldn't want me near him. We saw that last week with the leper. There could be past experiences, bad experiences that you've had with a church that, that you know you need to go to Jesus, but the obstacle is too great. There could be, there's just so many obstacles to coming to Jesus. Um, it can seem like God is distant um, and that Jesus is just out of reach. And so, you know what, I'll, 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 it's too hard today, I'll try again tomorrow or next week. Or the week after that. But these blokes, these blokes, true faith breaks through the roof. 
if you are really desperate for Jesus, you will not stop. You will not stop knocking. You will not stop hammering on the roof. Because you know how much you need Him. And don't you just love Jesus' response to this man? Can you imagine the crowds? He's sitting there, the sermon's happening, Jesus is speaking, and there's like little bits of straw falling from the roof, and Jesus looks up and, and probably gets a bit of you know, dust in his eye and straw in his eye, because it's right above him where this roof opens and the man comes down, and Jesus looks at him, his response is like spontaneous. It's just, you know, the heartbeat the doof, 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 doof of Jesus, the, the, the heartbeat of Jesus straight away is... His immediate response is to look at this man and say something which we think is inappropriate. Jesus looks at this man lying helpless on the ground, probably with this this scared kind of smile on his face going, I hope this goes well because I've just broken the roof. Looking up at Jesus and Jesus' response to him is, friend, brother, my, my child. What does he say? He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And we hear that and we, we think maybe it's kind of inappropriate. Is, is Jesus saying that this man is paralyzed because he did something wrong? Well, sin does have an effect on our physical health. And James even speaks about that, but, but in this case, and, and quite a few times Jesus debunks this kind of thinking. If you think about it, if this man was paralyzed because he was a sinner, then as soon as Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, he should have jumped up and started walking around. No, no, Jesus looks at him, and the beat of his heart, the, the, the first impulse of his, of his heart is to look at this man and say, I forgive you. God forgives you. My heart beats to the tune of forgiveness. And he looks at him and, and he sees that he's paralyzed. But for Jesus, healing and forgiveness, they, they, they can't be torn uh, apart. They can't be separated. I mean, this, this man is coming for healing of his body, but, but Jesus gives him so, so much more. He says to the man, you are forgiven. In other words, he says to the man, my, my child, you now, your deepest need, you can have a good, right, solid relationship with God. You can be friends with God. You can be mates with God. You can be in a community with God. You and God can be friends. You see, when Jesus looks at this man, he sees not only the problem of the paralysis, but he sees that here is a man driven by faith, driven by trust, believing that Jesus is the Son of God who can heal him. And he looks at him and he says, My child, I want to give you the very best that I have, and the best that I have is for you to be friends with God, to have your relationship with Him put right. You can only be genuinely whole when, when, when the big issue in your life is, is dealt with. And yes, sickness and disease and death and 
all of these things are, are they, they come as a result of sin. That's what we learn in Genesis chapters 1 to 3. The whole story of, of creation there is leading us to the point of saying that, that, that the reason that there is sin and death and sickness and hurt is because of sin. And every time Jesus heals someone, it's, it's a, a driving back of the kingdom of sin. I mean, sickness and paralysis here belongs to the old kingdom, and Jesus is driving out its prince. But mere healing of the body... Why would Jesus settle for that? He looks at this man and his heart beats for him and he says, it's, it's a heartbeat of love which says, I want the best for you. Now, Jesus does eventually heal him. And, and I reckon even if the Pharisees hadn't been stupid, Jesus would have healed this man anyway. I reckon he would have. But for Jesus, the first thing is to say, I want you to be right with God. My heart goes out to you. And the first thing that I see is not your paralysis, but your paralysis of spirit. And I, I think... That's the way Jesus looks at all of us, isn't it? He looks at us and, and we, you know, how many people pray to God when they're going through tough times? Probably never pray any other time, but when they're going through tough times, you pray to God. Oh God, the plane's crashing, please help. You know what, God, God loves to help. But the first thing God looks at the first thing he sees, he says, I want to be your friend first. I want you to be my friend. Like, like David was the friend of God. I want to be, I want to be, I want us to be like this. He does it so easily, doesn't it? He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. It sounds easy, but as Mark goes on, we'll see just how much weight is behind those, those heartbeat words, my child, your sins are forgiven. The weight of a cross, hang on those words. That's the beat of Jesus' heart. But there are some other heartbeats happening in that room at the same time. Now, notice verse 6. This is something I, I spotted, and this is really, really interesting. So you've got this crowded room. There's no space. People have to be lowered from the ceiling. And what do we see in verse 6? Some of the teachers of the law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, the thing I want to highlight to you is some of the teachers of the law were sitting there. You've got a room where there's standing room only, and we're sitting here. And the word sitting there is, is also got the connotations of we are sitting here to check this 
man out. We are here to judge. You can kind of imagine them. Um, they wouldn't just be sitting like all scrunched up together. It would be like, oh, make way. I am a scribe. You're already getting an image of these people, aren't you? Sitting there while everyone else is standing. <laughs> Judging this Jesus. And Jesus' heartbeat when the man is lowered is one of, of love. And I want to be friends with you. I want, God wants to be friends with you. But, but when Jesus says you are forgiven, the mindset of the scribes, that the heartbeat of the scribes is it's a spontaneous response of anger and disgust. And they look at him and they say, What? Blasphemer. Only God can do that. And, and you know, they're right. They're absolutely right. God alone can forgive sins. And, and Jesus is acting like God and, and, and he's doing what only God can do. And, and if he's not God, then what he's doing is completely wrong and sinful. Blasphemy, by the way, is both the first accusation that's leveled against Jesus and the last one that's leveled against him in chapter 14, 64. And both times it's leveled against him in context of seeing who he is, his authority, his identity, his power. Their heartbeat is one of judgment. You see, out of, out of mind, straight away, they reject any possibility that Jesus might just be the Messiah. Because he doesn't, he doesn't play according to their rules. And so straight away they judge and they say, no. Jesus knows what's in their hearts and he doesn't overhear them. He, he knows what they're thinking. And he looks to them and he says, yeah, you know what? I, I could just be mouthing off. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven. It's easy to say, get up and walk. But you know the, the proof of a prophet, according to the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, proof of a prophet is, does what he say actually happen? And Jesus says, you know, easy to say you're forgiven, easy to say get up, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority, John or Charlie or Fibusheth, get up, pick up your mat and go. Remember Mark is the action gospel? Up, hops out, you just, the place was too crowded to get into, but you can imagine the crowds like... Make an exit, and this man goes. He's got a heartbeat too. Um, he's got a heartbeat of trust and faith. You know, he could have lay there on the, on the top and gone, yeah, thanks for the healing, Jesus. You forgave me. And now you said, you know what? I don't actually think. I can walk. I've been like this for quite a few years. You saying get up and it's not going to work. He could have said that. 
But this man's heartbeat is one of, of trust. And straight away he gets up and he walks. And I wonder about this man. Did he become a follower of Jesus? I'd like to think so. I mean, here's a man who, who Jesus looks at and sees faith and, and, and who has been forgiven by Jesus and healed by Jesus. And I'd like to think that this man's heartbeat beat for Jesus after this day. And the crowds, verse 12, for the crowds are glorifying God. And I wonder whether they knew that God was right there with them. And then we move on and we've got this very interesting story of, of Levi Matthew. And, and the reason why I've, I've put them together is because I think uh, the story of Levi Matthew illustrates a little bit about, about what we have just seen happen in the house in Capernaum. So Jesus has been teaching inside. Uh, it must be a little bit later. He goes outside and he keeps teaching as he walks along next to the shore of the lake. And the crowds are coming to him and he's teaching them. And as he walks along, verse 14, he sees Levi Matthew standing there or sitting there at his tax booth. And, and, and I, I call him Levi Matthew, by the way, because in Matthew, Matthew calls him Matthew. Matthew calls him Matthew and Matthew. Um, but Mark and Luke, I think, call him Levi. So it, it's quite possible that he had two names. Uh, Thomas was also called Didymus, which is the twin. Bartholomew was also called uh, Nathaniel. So, so quite a few of the uh, apostles had like two names. Um, and here we have Levi Matthew, um, the apostle, who is a tax collector. Probably worked for Herod Antipas, the, the lackey of the Romans. Um, and, and here is a man, as, as you might have already heard before, tax collectors are not the most liked people in the world. But especially back in those days, if you became a tax collector, how's this? You don't have to be a witness in court. You're not allowed to judge in court. You're not allowed to go to church. You're excommunicated from the synagogue and your family is disgraced. Uh, just imagine if the city of Rockingham was taken over by the city of Mandurah and they decided they were going to put paid parking in our car park at the front of the church um, and they employed a tax collector called Matthew and Matthew comes along and he starts you know, putting tickets on your window. But, but Matthew kind of gets paid per ticket so he puts them out five minutes early every time. I would imagine that many of us would not be that thrilled with this new parking inspector. In fact, you might have a few words to say to him of love and kindness and generosity. <laughs> there are, just a little bit up the coast from Ephesus and Magnesia, there are inscriptions that we've got that speak about um, those who are concerned with the toll on fish. Now, where Capernaum is, it's kind of like a, a trade route from the north to south, and it's right next to a lake. And, and I can't help but wonder if, as well as taking the toll on the goods that are transporting to and fro, I wonder if Levi Matthew was also responsible for the tax on fish. And, and the reason I wonder that, because they did tax fish. And the, the reason I wonder that 
is because you've got four disciples so far of Jesus. You've got Peter, James, John, and Andrew, fishermen, who probably, if Matthew Levi had been a tax collector, and, and if, this, this is conjecture, but if he was a fish taxer, can you imagine Jesus walking along and his four disciples going, oh, paid you so much, you've ripped us off. And Jesus goes, oi, follow me. <laughs> Can you imagine the look on their face? Jesus, do you know who you've just called? That guy has like ripped us off big time. And even if not personally, Jesus, do you know who you've called? He's a tax collector. And in the midst of his public teaching. To the crowds, Jesus looks across at Matthew personally and says, Levi, come, follow me. And Jesus doesn't wait for, for Matthew, Levi, to, to decide to follow him. Jesus doesn't wait for Matthew to take the initiative. Jesus says, Levi, come. And just as promptly as, as the four before him, he drops what he's doing and he goes. It's a little bit more severe for Matthew than it was for the fishermen because, I mean, let's be honest, the fishermen, you just go back and fish again. If you work for the Romans and you just leave your work, and by the way, it's money work, the Romans are not going to let you have your job back. But he leaves. I mean, this, this man, this Levi Matthew, can, can you see the beat of his heart? as a disciple of Jesus. Because he leaves his tax booth, and the first thing that he does is he gathers all of his mates, all of his friends, all of his tax collector and sinner cronies, and he says, come on, I've done the most amazing thing. I've quit, and I'm going after Jesus, and I want you to come and have a party at my house. And I want you to meet him, and I want him to meet you, and I want you to... I want, come! This man is just driven. His, his heart is like, Jesus, I, I, everyone must meet you. And he gathers all of his friends. And, and it's so telling that, that there are many sinners among Jesus' followers. There, there are many there who know that they're dropouts and scum and, and horrible people. The people who know their need. Remember the paralyzed man, he comes to Jesus. Why? Because he knows his need. Ultimately, he knows... Uh, is his greater need healed? He knew his need. I think he even knew his need of forgiveness because when Jesus said to him, My child, your sins are forgiven, he didn't turn around and say, well, Thank you, but that's not why I'm here. He accepted the forgiveness, he knew his need. And this new disciple, Matthew Levi, his heart beat was to introduce his friends to Jesus. In other words, his heartbeat was similar to that of Jesus. Jesus called him and what was the first thing that he did? He called others to Jesus. I mean, Jesus' people have to be 
Jesus to our world. And that can be very costly. And that can face opposition. We've got another heartbeat here, and it's the Pharisees again. Heartbeat of the Pharisees in verse 16. You know, human respectability so often and so easily masks what we're really like underneath. I mean, the beat of Jesus' heart is to hang out with the dregs of society. He calls them. He hangs out with them. He, he calls them to be his disciples. But the beat of the Pharisees' heart is one of superiority and pride. Jesus is hanging out with scum. And you notice they don't actually go to Jesus and say, Jesus, why are you hanging out with scum? They, they go to his disciples and just kind of on the side, on the sly, almost as if to get them offside, say, you know, your teacher's hanging out with those people. You see, they, they felt that the sinfulness of the scum would rub off. You know the saying, um, birds of a feather flock together. Isn't that, isn't that true? Birds of a feather flock together. These scribes that are there of the Pharisees, and these people are, well, they're hypocritical. They, their aim in life is to be holy because God is holy, and, and that's a good aim. But, but the reason they did that is by keeping anyone who was even remotely, possibly a sinner, as far away from me as possible, lest they infect me. And their big issue is that their heartbeat totally was out of rhythm with the heartbeat of God. They, they totally misunderstood the person of God. They thought God wants us to avoid the unholy. God wants us to avoid those who are not good enough. And yet the truth has always been that God never avoids the sinners. He chases them. God loves sinners Loves them so much, even to a cross. And that's the beat of Jesus' heart. He doesn't make distinctions between people. He, he throws away this idea of ranking people in terms of how goody-goody they are, which is a pity for the Pharisees who worked their whole lives to be goody-goody. He doesn't see his, his holiness and he is absolutely holy as something to be, to be guarded. But, 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 as, but as the transforming power of God so that, so that he can turn even tax collectors and sinners into disciples. That's the holiness of God. The holiness of God isn't infected by sin. It undoes sin. Remember what he said to that man lying there on the on the, 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 the tarpaulin thing, he, he looked at him and said, your sin is forgiven. My holiness can do that because of what I am going to do. 
And he says to them, he gives his mission statement in verse 17. He says to, the, to these scribes, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. This, brothers and sisters, this is the beat of Jesus' heart. The beat of God's heart is to hang out with the scum. We've got, in both of these stories, put together three different heartbeats. We've got the heartbeat of Jesus, which is a heartbeat of forgiveness and healing and new life. We've got the heartbeat of His followers, of, of that first man of obedience and joy, and, and the heartbeat of wanting to introduce Him to others and wanting to share Jesus. And We've got the heartbeat of the Pharisees, which is one of self-righteous judgmentalism and scorn. And I think the question that we are left with in this passage today for us is, is well, what does our heart sound like? Uh, can I be described as a friend of tax collectors and sinners? The problem for us today is that most of us, and probably including myself, definitely including myself, the problem for us is that we don't have enough bad company. We don't have enough bad... You know what? We've got fantastic... This is good company we're in right now. Isn't this good company? We don't have enough bad company. You see, if Jesus hung out with a good company, he'd be hanging out with the scribes and the Pharisees. But where do we find him? We find him with the with the sinners and the tax collectors. I mean, the, the, the church should be like the party that Matthew Levi held. It should be a place where, or, or, or even our homes should be a place where, where, where there are just scummy people. People who know that they are the worst of sinners and who don't stand around judging others for being not as good as me. Let's be honest with ourselves. Do we not often have that temptation when we see others of saying, you know what, you're not quite up to the mark. You know? I'll maybe condone to be in your presence, like the Pharisees condoned to sit in the house in the first part. But that's not the same as being there. Now, I know someone who, very recently in this state, um, had a problem with his church and is no longer pastoring that church because they were getting converts into the church. Um, Which sounds good, but the problem is these people were still very new Christians. And coming from all sorts of backgrounds which didn't fit the people in the church. And it caused all sorts of ruckus for this, for this man because they're not like us. 
They can't be members until they are as good as us. And I think Jesus wept a little bit. My friends, may our heart beat like Jesus' heart and like that of Levi Matthew and like that of the paralyzed man who was forgiven and healed.